0: and welcome to Good Questions, Real Answers. I'm Kimberly with Lion and Lamb Ministries. This is Monty Judah. Hi, Monty. Hi, Lou. And welcome to all of you. We're so happy that you've joined us today. We are receiving lots of questions, Monty, so we'll get started right away. All right. And hopefully cover a good number of them. Okay. Our first one today is a question about the tribes of Israel. And our follower asks, is it important to know which tribe of Israel we belong to? And how would we find out that information? How would we know?
1: I want to say both yes and no to this. Yes, it's important that you know that you're part of Israel, of the the whole house of Israel Mm -hmm. that you're part of. Because Israel is the name of the kingdom, and we want to be part of the kingdom. So that means you are part of the house of Israel. Now, as to specific tribes, there are certain people that that's very important to. Yes. For example, if you're a Kohen, you're a priest, when it's important to know that you're the tribe of Levi, and the Jews, for the most part, consider themselves to be the tribe of Judah. But the reality is we know there's some Benjamites that are in there. We know that there's some Simeonites in there, but they're all called Jews because they were part of the southern kingdom. Beyond that, it's very difficult to really assess. In other words, I have a Jewish background, but for me to even go back and really do it, it's a struggle. Mm. And what difference does it make? I'm saved the same way anybody else is saved yes. by faith. And by the way, when I get to the kingdom, I'm going to be rewarded the same way other people are going to be rewarded. You know, and, it, and nobody's going to go, "Oh, well, you were gentle. so you." you no, know, God doesn't operate that way. Right. He's the God of the whole world and all the people who belong to his kingdom. But he uses Israel as the symbol of that kingdom and it helps to teach us a lot of things about the kingdom through the nation of Israel and the people of Israel. Now, let me answer the question that is, yes, it's important. And that has to do, there is a prophecy that says that there's going to be the 144,000 sealed mm-hmm. and it lists the tribes and says 12,000 of that tribe will be, now the, for them in that day, that's gonna be very important. Mm-hmm. That will be very specific. The scripture addresses that very direct. But for the moment for us, believers right now walking around today, prior to that ever taking place, it's way more important that we know we're sons and daughters of Abraham, yes. that we have our redemption through the Messiah, the King of Israel and that we're included in his kingdom. We are part of the whole house of Israel. We follow the same commandments that Israel given. We have the same covenants. We have the same baptism, same spirit. Mm -hmm. We're to be in unity with that. Sometimes people look at the tribal things to try to show distinction. At this point, I wouldn't recommend that. If you're able to discover something, who knows whether that's correct or right or whatever, If, if that's meaningful for you and that encourages you in your faith, well, okay. I'm good with that. But I can tell you right now, if you're Jewish and you go down to Denny's and I think you pay a buck fifty seven for a cup of coffee, you can still get the coffee with a buck fifty seven and don't even know you're Jewish. I mean, you you can (laughs) still get it. It it really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make a difference before the Lord in his kingdom.
0: Yes. I think sometimes people find it interesting just as, you know, a point of interest to find out about yourself, just like, you know, your genealogy or things like that. Your
1: ancestry, right? you know, Mm ancestry.com, 23andMe, all these are very fascinating programs to learn who your grandfathers were, your great grandfathers, what did they do? Where did they come from? Where did they live? They help you with your identity. Mm -hmm. And I think when we get to the kingdom, I think the Lord's gonna sort all that. We're gonna find out who we really are, and yes. who, where do we descend from? And I always tell everybody that when we get to 1,000-year kingdom, I'm gonna spend the first 500 years learning all about my ancestors. There you go. And then I'm gonna spend the last 500 years learning about all my descendants.
0: There you go. So, yes, so we have a lot to learn that's busy a for lot, eternity. A, a <laughs> lot of fun in front of us, a yes. lot of enjoyment. Exactly. Well, thank you for that. And sure. I hope that clears that up for our viewer. The second question we have today, is from john and john has been watching lots of our teachings that we have on our our channel and he is has a question about gog and magog he was watching a a teaching that you were doing about gog and magog and how they relate to psalm 83 when all of a sudden the platform took the teaching down So he asked, please, could you do that explanation for him on this program so that he can know what you were teaching about that day?
1: Yeah, if I recall correctly, I was talking about Psalms 83, and it specifically Mm -hmm. describes an enemy of Israel that literally loves bloodshed, that they are treacherous, they are tyrannical, they're horrible. Basically, it's a description of the enemies of Israel in the last days. And right now today in Israel, Israel has enemies that if you read Psalms 83, boy, that's a good description of the enemies they're facing right now. Yes. I think the reason why that particular thing was taken down was I may have actually mentioned the name of some of the people there and they probably were opposed to me pointing yes. that out. Yes. But I'll let you do your own interpretation. You can go in, you can read that scripture and you can look at the present day situation. I'll let you make your own interpretation as to who you think that is, but I'll say this much, I think they're the enemies of Israel.
0: Yes. Okay. <laughs> and to to the point of his question, Gog is the, is an enemy of Israel and well, Magog is more. Gog, Gog
1: is a name, okay? Mm-hmm. It's actually an ancient historical name. Mm-hmm. And Magog means the Mim, the maim means from Gog or joined with Gog. In other words, it's a confederation of enemies. And Gog and Magog is a term that's used several times in the scriptures by the prophets mm-hmm. to talk about the ancient enemies, the ancient co- confederation of enemies that have come against Israel. Mm-hmm. And they are particularly characterized, to be at the end, of the ages. Uh, things will happen at the end of the ages that involve Gog and Magog yes. coming against Israel. But tell you the truth, it's a pretty abstract term. It's yeah. not terribly specific. It's really just trying to say, if I were to make a substitute, I would say the confederation of all of Israel's enemies.
0: There you go. That's the way
1: I would uh, define that.
0: Okay, well, there you have it. There's your explanation, and we're pretty certain this time it won't get taken down and he'll get that full explanation. (laughs)
1: Okay.
0: All right, our next question is from Christopher. He's new to the Messianic movement, and he asks this question. Where specifically are the jots and tittles that the Bible mentions? Where are they found in scripture? and what historic or prophetic implications do they have?
1: Okay, that's a very, very intriguing subject. A lot of people don't know about this. In the King James version of the Bible, in Matthew chapter five, Yeshua specifically mentions this, and he says with regard to that he didn't come to do away with the law and the prophets, that not a jot or tittle shall pass away or be taken away until all is accomplished. That, that's essentially what it says, and that's a pretty about as good an English translation we can for what we believe that uh, Yeshua said. Um, what most modern Bibles have done is they've changed jot and tittle to the phrase not a letter or a stroke of a letter, Or or they'll say sometimes in some version, not an iota, Now iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. Mm -hmm. They're trying to find some way to explain what Yeshua said that even the smallest parts will not go away. But the reality is this. King James was actually right about this. Jots and tittles are actual special scribal marks that are put in the scriptures. The Torah itself has about two dozen of them, and they come in four classifications. And if you want more detail on this, you can get a good Bible dictionary, and it will explain, when explaining explain the Hebrew language, it will explain what the Jots and Tittles are. You can go to the Jewish Encyclopedia and ask about the Torah actual text, the scribal work, and they can explain some of these things. So here's the classification. The scribes take certain letters in the scripture and they enlarge them. Some letters are made small. Then what they will do is they will stigmatize a letter. They'll twist a letter, they'll do some, they'll write it in such a way that in the case of, there's one called the broken Mm vav, where the vav is drawn and it's it's broken, it's in two pieces. There's another one called the inverted nuns, where they take the letter nun, they draw it backwards. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the final classification of what we call the jots there are four places in the torah where the scribes put dots above the letters of certain words and there's these four particular verses if you pull them all together they kind of have an interesting message well each hebrew letter has a teaching and a meaning to it if you take a letter and you make it emboldened and make it large, you're saying as I'm reading the text that the meaning of that letter is stronger here to, to understand there's something it, it being expressed that modifies what you're reading. Same thing with it being made small. And in the case of a broken letter, or a stigmatized letter, there's very specific instruction with regard to it. Now, like I said, in the Torah, there's about 24 places where jots and tittles show up. There are four places that just jots. There's several large letters, small letters, and stigmatized letters, just for fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Let me
1: show you how incredible this really is. I'm gonna pull out a dollar bill. I don't know if in the camera you can really see it. You see that symbol, that pyramid symbol right there? Yes. And then they got that eyeball that's above that. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? The And the jots and tilts, that's a very specific thing. That's called the all-seeing eye. Mm-hmm. They take the letter Ain, which means I, and they raise it up above the baseline. It's up above the other letters. And it's called the all seeing eye of God. And there are certain verses they want you to know God is seeing this. Wow. And so it's a very powerful scribal teaching. And so, forth. and the jots and tittles essentially become scribal teachings. In other words, Torah teachers who dedicate them, the Johnson Tittles are instructing the Torah teacher, make sure that you cover this point when you explain and teach the people this passage of scripture. It's a fascinating subject, not known at all virtually by the entire Christian world. Right. And only by Torah scholars. And they tend to minimize some of the stuff because some of it is very messianic and they're uncomfortable with bringing out some of this cuz it kind of points at Yeshua and
0: mm-hmm. the things
1: he did right and they're a little they're not so comfortable about pointing some of that stuff out let me give you an example of what we're talking about in the Hebrew one of the smallest words there is is the word et yes et it's made with the first letter and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet aleph and Toph, okay now that word shows up in several, multiple places. Yeah. One of the places it shows up is in Genesis 37. It's one of the places where the jots are above. There's little dots above those two letters. And, and when you're reading the Hebrew, it's obvious. They're, they're right there those scribes with those dots above, they're called jots. Mm-hmm. So what in the world is going on here? You know, what is the meaning of it? It turns out there has always been a mystery by Torah teachers, because there's about 14 places where this Aleph Tav shows up in the middle of something and they know it's a person, but they can't figure out who it is. One of the most interesting places where it's at, you've heard the verse in Zechariah, which says, they will look upon him whom they pierce. Yes. In the Hebrew, there's no word for him or whom. All it is, literally, it says, they will look upon Aleph Tav they pierce. So they've always asked the question, who or what is the Aleph-Tav? Right. Well, fascinatingly enough, Yeshua answers this question very directly. He says, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. Now, you probably heard it, Christians have probably heard it, oh, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. They use the Greek alphabet, first and last letter. This is a Hebrew Messiah talking to a Mm -hmm. Hebrew prophet. He wasn't speaking Greek, he was speaking Hebrew. Right. He said, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. Okay. And these are things that point to the Messiah. These are things that the Messiah spoke to directly. And he specifically said, not a jot or a tittle shall pass away until all is accomplished. Obviously, there's some wisdom and some instruction in these things that apparently Yeshua thinks is important for us to know along with the instructions of the rest of the scripture. yes. The study of this is utterly fascinating. And what typically has been done with it, some Torah teachers, as they go through different Torah portions, they will point out some of the evidence of this. They'll, they'll find where it's mm-hmm. at. As long as I'm kind of talking on this, let me go ahead and share with you the one of the most dramatic is about this subject. In the last two verses, of the book of Numbers chapter 10 there the scribes they take the hebrew letter Mm noon and they draw it backwards it's not part of a word it's just sitting there on the line and they draw it backwards then you have these two verses and afterwards they draw another letter noon and draw it backwards they're called the inverted noons And the letter noon in block Hebrew is actually where we get the letter called the bracket that's used virtually in all languages and especially in English. If you see text that's sitting in a bracket, you know that's separate from what is here. They just wanted you to have that information alongside, but it's really Mm -hmm. not part of the main thing. But I want to give you some other information. Yes. So they put it in a bracket. Well, those two verses have effectively been put in a bracket. And here's what a Torah teacher will tell you concerning those two verses. Those two verses, the last two verses in Numbers chapter 10, have the wisdom in there equivalent to the entire book of Genesis. Wow. The entire book of Exodus. The entire book of Leviticus the entire book of Deuteronomy wow! and they subdivide the book of numbers by splitting and pulling them out so that the five books of Moses become, are you ready for this? The seven pillars of wisdom and Proverbs calls the Torah, the seven pillars of wisdom. And they're constructed in that way because they've taken those two verses Mm -hmm. out now with that introduction what in the world is in those two verses right well those two verses serve as the liturgy for every torah service that's done when you open the ark and you bring the scroll out you're going to cant verse 30 i think it's 34. When you put the scroll back in the ark you're going to cant verse 35 it may be 35 and 36 i'm not sure but it's the last two verses Mm -hmm. so what do we can't what are we saying when we bring a torah scroll arise o lord and let your enemies be scattered and it's talking about the resurrection are you ready of the messiah when the messiah came out of the grave he proved he had defeated his enemies. Yes, They had used death against him and he defeated it. Amen. Now the second verse, it's about the resurrection too. It's about our resurrection because it says return, O Lord unto the myriads of Israel's families, return unto all of us, return us. And so you have the resurrection of the Messiah, and you have our resurrection. Isn't that fascinating? Those two verses are about the resurrection. Guess what the letter noon means? What's that? It means it's the shape of a fish. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: A fish with a head cocked here and a tail cocked there. And when you go out to a pond, a lake, a stream or whatever, if you see a fish splash, there's a sensation, there's a feeling that you get immediately, which is called the quickening of life yes okay oh there's a fish out there in the lake you know I, I do this all the time oh there's fish out there of course there's fish out there dummy it's a lake it has lots of fish you know i mean why are you shocked by it? no it was that moment that quickening of life that got me mm-hmm. well if you draw that's what the meaning of the letter noom is now if you draw that letter backwards what does that mean that means the quickening of life from the dead wow that's the symbol of life from the dead. Mm-hmm. Now, in the Aramaic, what does the letter Nun look like? A fish. The necklace that you're wearing, Kimberly, yes. has a little fish on the bottom. Yes. Why did the the new believers use that symbol? Because that's the symbol of the inverted Nun. It means the resurrection of life from the dead. Yes. And that was the dominant subject in the in the first century was Messiah came out of the grave. You know, we were sharing, hey, he's really the Messiah. He came out of the grave. We here's right. People are testifying, he he, he was resurrected. That was a huge thing in the first century. Yes. And, and that symbol was very powerful. They used that as a symbol of the believers. We believe in the resurrected Messiah. Now for us, that's a very powerful teaching. Let me go a step further. I know I'm using a lot of time on this that's because right. there's a lot of great stuff here. <laughs> You remember the Sadducees who didn't believe in the Resurrection? Yes. They they didn't believe in, in the Torah like we do. And they came up to the Messiah and they just tried to entrap him in a question that tied into the Resurrection. They said, oh, we got this man, he had a wife, but that man died and the wife married the brother, but that man died and then he married another brother and then that man died and they went through seven iterations. And they said, who is she married to in the Kingdom? In other words, what they're mocking the idea of the Resurrection in the Kingdom. Mm-hmm. And here's how Yeshua answered them in their mocking question. He said, Ye do err in that you know not the scripture nor the power of God. Wow. And when he said, You know not the scripture, he was talking to the inverted noons. There's the symbol. That's what it is. And that's in the scripture. And that's what it says. Now, the power of God is he's the one that raises us. Yes. So that was a very telling moment and to really understand that conversation with the sadducees and so forth if you know about the inverted noons and you know this symbol exists in the torah by the way i have some interesting other news for you when it comes to the jots and tittles did you know there's another place in the bible where there's seven of those inverted noons where i believe it's in the psalms 108 it's 107 or 108 There's a series of them that begins at verse 23, 24, 25, 26, and 28, and then at verse 40.
0: Hmm.
1: There's an adverting in between each verse. You know what that's the story of? What is that? That's recounting the story of Jonah, when Jonah was swallowed by the whale, and then came out of the belly of the whale, which is how you show describe the resurrection. I'll be in the grave, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale for yes. three days. And the symbol of the resurrection was pictured by Jonah coming out of the whale. Yes. And so he, the Messiah, used that same thing. So Amazing. that fits into the fish story, mm-hmm. too. Yes. It was Jonah and the fish. Mm-hmm. So we have the fish story, the story of Jonah, which is called the sign. That's what he said. That's the only sign I will give you of me is the sign of Jonah. Wow. That's how that all ties together. Now, if you didn't know about the inverted noons and what those meant, those particular tittles Mm -hmm. that are in the Torah, you would have no idea about all this other stuff that the Messiah was talking about. So you can understand why some Hebrew scholars that don't believe in the Messiah are a little hesitant to get into some of this stuff because it ties into Mm -hmm. the testimony and about Yeshua of Nazareth when when he came.
0: Wow So the
1: Jots and Tittles is a a very fun subject to study. It's an
0: amazing subject to study. It makes me want to go dive right in and spend some time. I do
1: have a program uh, called the Jots and Tittles, and I give you a listing of all of them, and you can go back and do your own study, and I introduce the subject. But you can go, honestly, you can go to any good Bible dictionary and learn about some of these. You can go, where you the meaning of each of the letters and how the letters have been stigmatized. The Jewish Encyclopedia has a whole article explain the Masoretic text mm. of the Torah and one of the sections is the enlarged letters, the small letters, the stigmatized letters wow. and, and it explains all of that. Well, this is amazing. not this is not hidden mystery stuff. this has been known for a long time
0: yes been known but but nobody actually, nobody, but nobody was interested but nobody in. knows about it
1: right well until you're messianic world. yeah until you're messianic and you start paying attention to the torah yes and learning what the what it says about the messiah there the, well that transforms all of your understanding about the messiah in the new testament it does it's another
0: one of those i've read that before and never seen it
1: well i i use the <laughs> jeff foxworthy comparison <laughs> If the Old Testament seems new to you and the New Testament seems old to you, you might be messianic.
0: (laughs) Well, and with that, we'll move on to um, a question from Don. He's got a question about John the Baptist and actually the timing of the Gospels. He says, where do Matthew, Mark and Luke fit into the Gospel of John? The Gospel of John says that John the Baptist was baptizing the same time Messiah and his disciples were baptizing. That was in John 3. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not begin to record Messiah's ministry until after John the Baptist is put in prison. Correct. So he's trying to figure out the timing of all of this and how does it all fit together. Okay,
1: so let's take the four Gospels. Okay, three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we refer to as synoptic gospels. Mm -hmm. They are narratives. They're trying to recount and tell you the story of when the Messiah came on the scene and what he did and what he taught and basically what happened. John is a completely different gospel. What he's trying to do is prove to you that he's the Messiah. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the last verses in the book of John, I have written this book, so that you might know that Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah and believing in him, you might have the gift of eternal life. His purpose was not to give a narrative. His purpose was to give you the proofs so that you could step back and say, okay, I believe that Yeshua of Nazareth, he really is the Messiah. He's the one that fulfilled the prophecies. He's the one. So there's a completely different purpose and presentation in the book of John compared to the other gospels. And that purpose then causes the authors, in the case of John, to sometimes present stuff not in a sequence, but in content. Mm -hmm. Whereas the others are trying to give you the best recollection they have of the sequence of events and who who did he talk to and what happened then and all that. Uh, So that there would be an accurate record, you know, that Mm -hmm. Yeshua of Nazareth really was on the earth and he really did do these things and this is where he was at. That's the reason why you see a difference between the synoptic gospels and the gospel of John. So one of the things I caution people is if you're trying to do a chronology of the exact sequence of events, you need to, with a little grain of salt, be careful what you do from the book of John, because remember, John is not emphasizing the narrative. He's trying to emphasize what was the significant content that took place at that point. He's trying to present proofs that he's the Messiah.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for that explanation. And Don, I'd also encourage you to watch our new series that's on our YouTube channel right now. Why do you think Yeshua is the Messiah? It is a study of the book of John, and I think you'll really benefit from that. And I hope that Monty's explanation of the synoptic gospels versus John's gospel was helpful for you also. I think we may have time for For a quick question. One more. Okay. We have a question from Chris about mikvahs. It's my understanding, she says, that a weekly mikvah on Shabbat is a good practice. If my understanding is correct, could you please explain to me how to do this and what I should be praying when I do this?
1: Okay, first of all, let's say this. Mikvah is only commanded when you're getting ready to go before the Lord. That's the commandment. So they used to be a mikvah before they went up to the temple. Traditionally, on Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, the people would make proclamation and make mikvah at that point. Now today, we use mikvah, it's a symbol of um, our proclamation of our faith. You are free to mikvah as many times as you want. I would urge you that if you can, mikvah at least every every year at, at the Feast of Weeks, I do, I do it. But if anybody becomes a new believer, one of the first things that is good demonstration of faith is to go get mikveh As to what you should be praying, what you should be doing when you mm-hmm. go into the mikvah, the scripture tells us that you're symbolizing that you're dying to the world, going into the water, and you're rising in newness of life. Mm-hmm. You're coming up out of the water. And that the, the water thing carries about kind of a cleaning, purification kind of thing, and uh, that that's that's the reason why the people would go in mikveh before they went up to the temple. They didn't want to defile the temple. Right. They wanted to go spiritually clean before the Lord.
0: Yes. Where
1: did we get that original thing? Well, that's what God instructed the children of Israel before God came down on the mountain to give them the 10 commandments. He had all of Israel take a bath first, Mm-hmm. You know, get themselves ready to receive the Lord.
0: Yes, to be clean.
1: To be clean, yes. you know, before. And so a mikvah carries those things, proclamation of faith, being clean before the Lord.
0: Okay, and so just real quickly then, what is the difference between baptism, as we think of in the Christian faith, and a mikvah?
1: Well, they're really the same thing. The only difference is that the Christians use the word baptism because the word mikvah meant immersion and at the time, the church wasn't immersing people. They were sprinkling them or pouring water on them. So they decided not to translate the Greek word into immersion for English. Mm-hmm. They decided to keep the Greek word baptismo and they made a new English word baptism so that they could hide that the method of baptism wasn't immersion. I see. That was a little play with the words thing in the translation, the church did, Uh, but Baptists found out what it really was. And so they go around immersing everybody.
0: I see. Okay, well, thank you so much for that. I know that that's going to clear up her understanding about mikvahs, and we may have some more questions in the future about that as well. But that is all the time we have for today. Thank you all for joining us today on Good Questions, Real Answers. We hope that you'll continue to stay tuned for more answers about biblical questions and prophetic questions that will help you as you study as well. And Monty, if you'll close us in prayer.
1: All right. Father, thank you again for another opportunity to answer some questions from the brethren. Thank you for our brethren. I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would pour out your insight and understanding for all of our brethren so that we might all walk uprightly before you. And we thank you for our redemption through Yeshua. And we pray in his name, amen.
0: Amen. And don't forget to like, comment and share this program as well. Tell your friends about it, gather around the TV on Saturday mornings and tune in. And we'll see you next week.